0: This week on the Drag Zine Podcast, we're joined by Troy Coughlin Jr., where we get to hear about what got him into the drag racing world with his family, what it's like to drive a pro stalker, and a whole lot more. So, pull those belts tight, get ready to put it in the beams. The Drag Zine Podcast starts now. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Drag Zine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, Troy Coughlin Jr. joins us and we kind of get to hear what it's like to grow up within a family that's literally all about drag racing and you know working for the company he works for and everything else and get to kind of get his take on all things drag racing related so without further ado let's get this drag racing party started all right my guest this week on the drag zine podcast is troy coughlin jr what's going on troy
1: oh not much just here at jags trying to get some parts sold
0: yeah yeah it's like a like we were talking earlier. Uh, you know, I've definitely been uh, helping funding the racing operations with my current builds, and I know every racer appreciates the uh, vast majority of things that you guys uh, sell at Jags.
1: Well, we've, uh, we've certainly been very lucky to have uh, tons of categories available here at Jags and tons of stuff for sale. And Every time I breeze through the warehouse or through the retail store, it seems like I want to pick up something, but... It's it's a discipline not to spend a paycheck every time I walk through here. That's for certain.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I always tell people I have the three most expensive hobbies on earth. I think cars, guns, and cameras. Anytime I go into a retail store that sells any of those objects, I could spend thousands of dollars. And if I had it, I'd be perfectly okay with it, but I don't. So I have to definitely maintain that discipline.
1: Not
0: easy. No, no. You know, it... Kind of going off of that, it's always interesting when you sit where I sit and you talk to all these different racers and you see a lot of people that come from racing families. And I think yours could definitely be one of the most, consider one of the most big and iconic just because it's, you know, what your family does. Is this something that as soon as, you know, you were old enough to realize what was going on, you were dead set on doing this or is there other things you wanted to do or is it just all drag racing all your life?
1: Uh, you know, this is just something I always do, um, just from birth. I think, uh, you know, I, I watched my dad grow up in drag racing and within the business at JEGS, just as his brothers did, and I always just, this is what I wanted to do. I saw my dad at work at JEGS, and I saw my dad at the drag strip racing a pro-stock car, so I just kind of followed in that footsteps. I, I work in the digital marketing side of things at, at JEGS.com, and, and uh, started off in phone sales when I was uh, 16, 17 years old and uh, just kind of took off doing that. Really had no other other desires in life other than other than been bracket racing and taking phone calls and selling parts and, and wanting to excel in professional drag race.
0: Yeah, you know, it's got it. A- I know from my own experience, it was interesting growing up where other kids, you know, were into things other than, you know, racing, and you just, for me, it wasn't that I had a hard time identifying, because I still played sports, but it was like, they had a hard time identifying with the, uh, I'm not even going to call it a hobby, the racing obsession that we like to live.
1: Yeah, it's it's really unique, it's a different type of uh, competitiveness, I guess, because you're, you're all alone, it's just you and the race car and the tree and your competitors so to speak so yeah you're, you're right it's a different type of competition and it's a different type of uh different types of an obsession that's a great way to put that so yeah it was it was uh different growing up in school and and trying to trying to you know make friends in high school and it, it was cool and all everybody would say hey jerry that was always my name in high school so that was always interesting and, and neat if you want to call it that but um, yeah, it was, it, it's a it's a privilege to be here. I mean, I've I've grown up here at JEGS my whole life, and some of the awesome uh, associates employees here at JEGS have pretty much raised me as a as a college professor would, as a student. So I'm I'm pretty lucky.
0: And you just said something there interesting as well. As a lot of people might have this false misconception that you know it's just you, all you do is race, and the rest of the time you just you know you you sit and wait to race, but. You know, it it definitely takes a lot of work in and outside the track and, you know, putting the time in at the family business to have the privilege to do what you do, right?
1: Yes. uh, It's something that uh, our family's always said is it it takes, uh, you know, great sales to keep the the racing happening. So you got to keep the warehouse moving to keep the the racetrack uh, a possibility for us. So we got to keep the sales needle moving. So. You definitely got to keep the marketing fresh, and you got to keep the phone ringing, and, and that takes work. You got to keep got to keep everything fresh. It's a it's a job, and we've got great people here at Jegs that, that do a wonderful uh, wonderful work at that.
0: What was the first kind of? What are some of your first memories from going to the track with your family? Was it you know just with your dad, your uncles? I mean, what what was it like? Kind of you know, what do you remember first starting out?
1: Oh, I remember just hopping in an old American Eagle motorhome, uh, All of us piling in this thing, going down to uh, Edgewater, Cincinnati. Uh, just everybody bracket racing, going to national trails, whether it be for a day or overnight, just going to run in Super Pro with three or four or five different cars It seemed like with one or two trailers. Just everybody going together and racing a couple different classes. It seemed like one of or two of us won something every time we went, so... Just everybody racing together and racing for each other. It's, it's pretty surreal.
0: And I think that's what makes your guys' family, and just how, uh, you know, for a lack of better terms, the warrior racer mentality you guys have is because you all start at, you know, training for this career and this life in juniors and then go up from there. Do you, do you think spending that much time in the, the slower vehicles kind of has helped you? Grow into be able to drive these faster cars because you've driven some uh, some pretty gnarly, gnarly hardware.
1: Yeah, the the junior dragster sure is, uh, is is a great tool for learning etiquette, drag racing. You know, staging, going in the lane, racing somebody. You know, learning the basics um, to grow up into the super comp classes, the super pro classes, the pro classes, and it's a it's the, the intro into drag racing. So. I think it's huge any any gateway into it. It's only going to teach you, um, but yeah, absolutely. It's 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 where I got my start. It's taught me so much. It's that's what pretty much rolled me to where I am today.
0: And I think you know, especially with you and with Jake Jr., you guys both kind of have a a, a pretty good bracket racing lineage because you guys have a you guys have stacked up some nice checks over the years racing just in the bracket categories, right?
1: Yeah, I've got a few good wins. Uncle Jake has quite a few more than I. But um, yeah, got a couple of good ones. Uh, the Maroso five day in twenty fourteen uh, won a couple uh, couple of Winter series races in the few years back. Um, it's those are tough races. They're brutal, especially today's world. Though some of the drivers out there today, they're just unreal. <laughs>
0: You know, that, that's something we run into quite a bit on this show as I talk with all the different, you know, I've talked with bracket racers, some big-name ones, and then heads-up racers. And what was funny is Frank Holly even said this. I asked Frank, what would be the one class you could race besides a nitro car? What What skill would you want to have? And it blew me away when he said, I want to, I would want to have the skills of a high-level bracket racer because of what it takes to do that. And I think that speaks volumes for what it takes to win in bracket racing and super-class racing because it's definitely just not, you know, write a number on the window and go try to hit it. There's there's a whole lot more to it. You have to be able to drive both ends of the track.
1: It's very multi-cognitive, that's for sure. And it's very seat of the pants. And it's, it's a lot of fun, especially when you can get it all right. And, uh, you know, it takes a little bit of luck here and there, but... It's it's a lot of skill and you gotta know your machine and know your equipment and maintain your equipment and, and be, be very good at preparation too. So there's there's a lot that, that goes goes on before you even get to the racetrack to be very very successful as a bracket superclass racer too. So it's it's exciting when you can complete the whole
0: package. Oh, yeah. When you see someone that nails both ends of it, that's just, it is a, when you're a drag racing nerd, that's like what makes you just kind of, you know, it gets you attention to see someone cut a killer light and then go down and just smash someone at the stripe. And I think the preparation part of it is very important too, because there was one thing I noticed, you know, last time I saw he was out at Trails for the Jegs Speed Week event. I, I try to always really keep my eyes open to track to, 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 again to be able to tell a bigger story and look what's going on. And the one thing I noticed was pretty much every it was definitely prevalent in stock and super stock was all of those racers before they did their final preparations, that weather station was just glued to their hand as they were making their final judgment calls. And I've seen that at, at big money bracket races too. Is that part of what you think makes a good you know bracket index racers that ability to to know how to make those adjustments?
1: Well, especially in index racing, the super class racing, the knowing the air, kind of what, what you're on with the air is huge. Um, same thing with the wind. If you have a wing on your dragster, or your roadster, how your vehicle kind of reacts to the wind is is huge. I think it's it, it is imperative with the with the index classes knowing what your car is going to run And bracket racing too that how the air affects your vehicle. I think once you make a run in a, at a bracket race, it just kind of falls in line as the day progresses, unless you have a six-hour window in between runs, then you can rather rely on a weather station to help you out, kind of pick a direction on, on what you think your car is going to run. So, yeah, we, we really do rely on these weather stations to, to help us out on what we're going to dial and, and keep us close. And it's really a, a big confidence piece, too. You know, you really want to be confident in your ride because it's hard to go up and be your best on the tree if you're not, feeling this
0: confident in your dial. What blows me away is watching the guys and top sportsmen and top dragster do what they do because, you know, bracket racing at any speed, especially at that level, six seconds, 200 plus miles an hour, that's just, that's unreal, the level of skill you have to have to judge the stripe at those speeds and ETs and be that successful as what you see some of those guys are.
1: Isn't that fun to watch though? It, it's uh, it's intimidating. My uh my Uncle Mike runs top director and he's going sixteens at 230, 225, and he's telling me how he's giving it back a couple fouls here and there or seen it to where he's taken less than a hundredth or so and I'm thinking, Man, you're 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 seeing it at two twenty. It's that's just it's intimidating and, and the rate of of closure and the way it looks so different between all the different power adders that those classes have, the way it looks so different between a a turbo or a blower, or a nitrous car, the rate of closure looks different for each of them. So it's, it's such a challenge. And I think that's what makes those good finish line drivers even better. And those champions, you know, what a, what a a staple for them to say they've won a national championship in those classes.
0: Oh yeah. It's just, top sportsman racing like to for people to understand you know basically you know in top sportsman specifically it's basically a baby pro mod that you're trying to bracket race and trying to get one of those cars to be just to to be consistent to me that's so impressive from a mechanical standpoint because as you go up the, the the horsepower hierarchy scale consistency doesn't necessarily uh start to to be something you see a lot of for sure
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's, it's a, uh, it's a factor. It's, it's a work. You got to go make runs. You got to go test. You gotta, you gotta go try things. You got to get in hit pockets of people at, at places that own power adder companies like a pro charger or a good supercharger company or a nitrous group. And there are several great companies out there that can help you do that. And that's, what's fun about this industry that, that we hold near and dear in, in drag racing and, it's just it's such an exciting sport. That's what makes it so much fun. And I encourage anybody that hasn't gotten into it yet to to jump in because the water's warm. It's a lot of fun. Anybody can do it. You know,
0: I, I was actually I was just writing an article today about Allison Dahl and what she did to win a stock class championship, like world championship. And I've talked with you know people like Justin Lamb about this too. That winning a, any at the divisional or national championship level. In sportsman ranks is probably one of the hardest things to do because it's a grind. You have to be consistent and you have to be on it at all times. What was it like for you to be able to win one in Super Gas?
1: Well, I've, I've won a divisional championship in Super Gas, and yeah, it's it's a, it's an all year long deal. I mean it's a it's a grinder. It's it's a battle. It starts in sometimes February and you're done in October and November. So you gotta you got to let go good. You got to know what you're on and you got to take as little as possible all year long. And you're at the mercy of other guys that might be on the tear. And you just have to, you have to be at your best 100%. And it's, it's fun. You have to really be mentally prepared to be your best. Every single time you got to keep your stuff maintained. You gotta, you gotta be, be ready to, to be your absolute best. And to me, that's, that's the fun part I really enjoyed that year it was uh 2013 we won super
0: Supergas. the the way I try to describe that to people that aren't into racing I'm like it's like trying to chase a playoff spot in baseball that you're not only having to worry about what you're doing but you got to worry about what the other teams are doing and staying either ahead of them or within striking distance and knowing what you need to do every time you go out because you You don't want to fall behind because you fall too far behind. You're just you're not gonna be able to make up the points.
1: Right. You just was trying your best. You're just trying your best to go turn wind lights on, just to stay focused, hit the tree, know what you can be, know what you can run, and turn wind lights on. You mean you can't control someone's double O and dead arm. I mean you can't control what they can do. You can only control what you can do. So you figure, okay, I'm gonna try and be anywhere from seven to eleven on the tree and I'm gonna know if I can go anywhere from eighty nine to hopefully low ninety and that's that. If someone gets under me, then it's their day.
0: And that brings up a great point. And like you said, one of the things that makes drag racing exciting is that even the best of the best can fall when it's just when someone else is just that much better. You know, it, it comes down to a lot of skill and a little bit of luck. But it's just it's one of those worst feelings when you you have done an amazing job on both ends and then that person next to you just laid out the run of a lifetime and, you know, there goes all your hard work in the span of just one let go of the button, right?
1: Well, you know, those are the ones runs you just kind of have to smile at, you know. I mean, there's really – you can't even get angry because you just – it just happens. It's part of the sport. It's brutal. Sometimes it's a mean sport sometimes you' got to be able to take the pain but um, it's the sport as we as we know it and as we love it but you just put it back in line with the same mindset and and try and keep the positivity rolling
0: now you've driven pretty much anything and everything with or without doors so far and one of the things I wanted to talk about was your time in pro mod because in my opinion quarter mile pro mod racing is probably some of the most gnarly stuff out there because these cars, they pretty much want to do anything but go straight and keep you doing what they're supposed to do. Right.
1: It was unreal. It was an absolute blast.
0: Cause you know, I you, loved every of it. it was a, you, rookie of the year and you got to, to race with your, your dad. What was that? What was that
1: like? There was nothing like it. I mean, you're, you're racing with your childhood hero. So it was definitely surreal, very majestic. Um, my dad can pretty much drive anything. I've never seen somebody be able to handle something so violent and get down a racetrack unscathed. It was, it was quite impressive learning how to handle a vehicle to get down a quarter mile like that. I learned so much about car control from my dad that year. I was very, very lucky to have him by my side.
0: Oh, I, I can imagine having, you know, the, the, you know, one of the best ever to teach you how to do it. And that's one of those things where, you, you know, you just kind of shut up and soak it up all in, right?
1: Exactly. I, I made runs in testing where he'd pull me aside and say, okay, that's the line. You, the run you just made is the line where if you go any further than that, you're going to crash the car. That's the line. Those are runs where if you drive it any further, that's when you'll crash. So, I mean that's how you learn, you know, and I'm lucky enough to have that advice to, to hear that, you know, and that's how you learn.
0: And and that's the thing with ProMod is that you know, there there is that line, but I think the other thing we've seen over the past couple of years is that line can move in a hurry before a driver even realizes what's going on. You know, what's it like to be behind the steering wheel when in one of those cars when things start to get a get a little hairy?
1: Well, it it all happens so fast, especially when you're new at it. The rate of it is just so – and you're so behind, and that's why you make runs to half-track your first three to four to five runs just to get used to the way it feels the first 300, 400 feet. And mind you, I I was in a really nice car. It was an R2-B2 Corvette that my dad had from the 2014 season he won a championship in in the twenty twelve and thirteen season. So this this thing was gold. So it was awesome. So I think I, the third or fourth run I made in the car, we made a full pull and went like five ninety nine or something like that in it. And um, but yeah, that's just how you learn. You you make runs like that, and you hopefully you've got a teacher that's with you to to show you on the graph and, hey, did you feel this? Did you feel that? Well, that's all where you're over here. That's where the line is. You need to make sure you're making your adjustments with the wheel before the eighth mile or even before that. Otherwise, you're going to have major issues.
0: Yeah, because, you know, with those cars especially, everything you do at the top end is amplified even more, you know, even with a turbo car because they, you know, find that... Extra rip after the after a half track when, you know that, that everything's all in. And if you if you try to overcorrect, that's when you are just you, you start to really lose the handle on it, and one thing leads to another, and uh, you're having a bad day.
1: It's definitely magnified in the turbo car. About 300 feet when the boost when I drove, it was about 300 feet. The boost really comes in. That left front tire starts kind of marching up. Uh, it's it's absolutely intense. It's amazing when the power comes in in those cars.
0: Oh, Steve Summers, I've seen him drive that car at half-plus track on the on the back bars. Like, the boost fully comes in, and he does not lift. He's in it to win it, you know, and it's just like – it's almost like he has this sixth sense about what the car needs to do. And I've seen him, you know, in quarter-mile racing, you know, cut bait on a run that's getting a little bit out of control. But, I mean, he, he rides those bars like a cowboy and just lets it do its thing.
1: When you're in elimination, your mindset – and your heart is just in a different uh, dimension. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you're a competitive person what kind of dimension you put yourself in when you're in elimination round.
0: Oh, yeah, it's pretty much common sense goes out the window, and you're like, uh, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, and then when it's not okay, it's it's definitely a worst-case scenario and you're having a bad day.
1: It's a very humbling sport.
0: Y- yeah, definitely. It's uh, Humbling is definitely one word to describe it for sure and you know you you did a stint in top fuel what was it like for your first time you know you jump in the car and they fire that thing up what was that like for you
1: whoa (laughs) Uh, it just you know it's, it's so sensory everything about it every sense is totally engaged i mean it's uh everything it's it, it's extremely intense, especially with the sound. Um, those things are everything that they sound to be. Um, the G-forces are amazing in those things. They're so intimidating, uh, especially if you hop in a, a really good car. Um, like that licensed in uh, the DSR canopy car that Sean Langdon drove, uh, licensed in that car in 2016, and my first lap i went 383 and i think i want to say we went like 326 or 320 miles an hour i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure but it felt really nice but just fast and it felt just the the rush of the thing when the clutch locks up and it feels like it just happens immediately as soon as you stomp on it and you pull the chutes and it just the rush of the chutes that just it's amazing. It's just like getting kicked from the back. And it just doesn't stop. It, it, it's extremely wild.
0: It's a double-ended roller coaster in three seconds, right?
1: Pretty much. Pretty much. It's extremely – I give a lot of uh, those guys and girls a lot of credit for what they put their bodies through. They, they train themselves very hard to, uh, to, to go through what they go through. So it's, it's an exciting sport to watch.
0: Yeah, and like just the the sensory overload factor, I think, is what makes like Nitro Racers a little uh, a little different. And the fact is that you know you you have all of the normal things you have to concentrate in a drag race, and then it's like, oh, by the way, we're gonna put you in a paint shaker with a loudspeaker of crazy noises, and you still have to do this.
1: Right, you gotta you gotta keep it in the groove too. You know, do, do your best to keep the thing in the groove. That was the. Uh... The challenging part, I mean, every car was so different. I mean, you were going so fast, each car would, would act a little bit different. And, you know, you give guys like Doug Coletta a ton of credit. I mean, that guy can flat drive. I mean, he can drive anything. Sean Langdon, same thing. Ron Caps, all those guys, they're just, they have so many runs. They're just amazing at it. That's a lot. The crazy. true.
0: The crazy thing about Coletta is not only can he drive the wheels off of a fuel car, he's done some dirt track racing too and he's wanting that. I mean that dude, he can literally drive about anything.
1: Yeah, he can wheel, he's fun to watch.
0: Yeah, that that's again it's with those kind of drivers at that level, it's just the uh it's it's the level of calm. You know, it's like it's just they it's their job, they do it, they do it well. And it's, again, with so much chaos going around them, it, it's really kind of, for me, that's, it's neat to watch that happen when you know, like you said, the sensory overload that they're going through every time.
1: It's it's pretty wild. It's definitely unique. I remember uh, racing with Coletta Motorsports and working with Doug a little bit and listening to him talk about, you know, what he feels in these cars. And he was really neat to listen to and learn from. And you can see why he's good at what he does because he is so relaxed and really has a, a firm grip on what he's doing.
0: Let's pull the curtain back a little bit more for people that probably will never get to to experience this. You know what's it like training to to license and drive in one of these cars? you know what What advice do people give you, you know I guess you know one question people might have is did they tell you what to do in case something goes boom or you catch on fire like what, what kind of scenario training do you get there?
1: Uh, not so much training. I mean, it's just it just depends kind of what you see. I mean, obviously, if you, if you have a major explosion, I mean, you obviously just want to get the car to a decent, safe stop and, and hop out as fast as you can, and you wouldn't mind what's going on in front of you, and hopefully you can see in a dragster. You generally can see because it's the motor behind you, so you want to make sure that usually the safety vehicles are coming from behind you, so... Generally, in the drag you can just hop out and move to the side pretty easily, which I I never really had many issues where I had to, you know, escape out extremely quickly. Um, other than that, you know, there's really just kind uh, of get in it and just drive it and feel it. Learn the way it works when the clutch locks up. Learn the way it feels when it wants to drop a hole and pull you to the right, drop a hole and pull you to the left. It depends on which side of the motor it drops a hole on and and you know the funny car drove but i would think um that that would have been a little bit more of a a training piece to drive a funny car there
0: yeah i've come to the conclusion that funny car racers are a little off
1: (laughs) those things look extremely intimidating
0: oh yeah, I mean, those things that, you know, it's tiny wheelbase, big, angry engine, and you got to really, really drive them. And it sounds like you kind of, uh, you kind of got to hope and pray and guess and make sure you've got it where it needs to go. Because otherwise, if you are not staying ahead of it, if you're behind driving one of those cars, you, you've you lost the battle.
1: its It looks like it would be a challenge search to regather that thing. I know I got behind the. A dragster a couple times, just from the sheer speed of that thing, just being so fast and never have driven anything that fast before, just being so new at it. And uh, I can only imagine a funny car. Yeah, it's just natural. I can only imagine.
0: And yeah, I was watching an old video of like the AHRA race at Topeka. And, you know, it had people like, you know, one of John Force's first wins, they're driving the, you know, the Coca-Cola car and just everything else going on. Roland Leon was there and, uh, you know, Chi-Town Huffler, Hustler was there. And watching those old school cars and, you know, they're going basically about as quick as an alcohol car goes these days. But just watching those guys try to manhandle those things down the track. I mean, it's, you know, back in those days, that that was you had to be a man's man to drive one of those beasts.
1: Yeah, that's, I, my grandfather drove one of those, uh, an alcohol funny car, the nitro funny car. I give him a lot of credit because uh, we have one upstairs that my uncle Mike restored, and just looking at the seat and looking at the way things were positioned. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I can only imagine.
0: Oh, isn't it terrifying to look at some of those nostalgia cars?
1: I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they did it, but I'm sure glad they paved the road they did because everything's a lot safer today.
0: Oh, yeah. Up at the Detroit Autorama a few years ago, they had a really cool exhibition of old nostalgia, funny cars. And, you know, one of the cool perks of being media is sometimes you get to get a little bit close to these cars to take pictures and examine them. And I remember looking at the frame rails on how they ran and how low they ran. And I'm like, (laughs) wow. Like, it just blew me away. I'm like, man, that's... Kind of scary to see how these cars were were built and dudes jumped in these things to go as fast as they did.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's intimidating, but they're neat to watch. I can tell you that. And there's some way cool looking cars back then
0: too. Oh yeah, I love love me some nostalgia racing where they're running you know high percentages of nitro. They run at night and the flames are running above the the tops of the cars. You know that's that's some cool stuff right there.
1: Fun to watch some good old T-shirts back then, too. I remember being a kid and always loved having those old T-shirts.
0: Yeah, my uh, my dad has quite the collection of old school T-shirts, and he actually he wore one of them out to a an event with our family, and someone was like, oh, that, is that a new T-shirt? And, you know, Dad was like, no, this is from, like, the 1980s, and it was buried in my closet and never got to wear it. And, I mean, it was like an old John Force T-shirt. It was it was pretty awesome to see. I was like, man, that's that's when they used to put a lot of like crazy artwork into their shirts.
1: It's amazing. It's an industry. Oh yeah.
0: Now you you, you did the, the whole injected uh, dragster deal for a while. How much how different was that compared to the to the top fuel car?
1: Well, the process of driving was really similar, if not identical as far as to, to make a run. Um, so we had a little bit higher percentage of, of Nitro, of course, because we didn't have a, a supercharger on the a-fuel car. But it was fun to compete in because you ran at divisionals. Uh, you, you ran at some nationals. Uh, we ran with Rich McPhillips, Rich and Richie McPhillips Racing. Uh, that group was absolutely phenomenal. They uh, they were incredible. Richie and Rich, those guys were yeah, you want to talk about good tuners and just guys that knew how to race to win that anywhere they went, that's that team right there. They didn't care where they were they could win. They were going to figure it out. And that was so much fun and, and made my driving just that much better. It made me want to get better. So it was, it was so exciting to race for them, and it was uh, definitely an honor.
0: Those cars, to me, I, I got to talk with uh, Will Smith about his at the at the Speed Week event and I really got to get like a good in-depth explanation of those cars and like they're so almost dead onto a fuel car but they're so they're almost as if not more finicky than those things because of all the tuning you have to put into them and the the cubic inch limits and just the science that they put into all those things it's people don't realize that those cars are cutting edge with how you got to make them work at the same time it's you know the the technology isn't what you you'd say you'd think would be over the top but it's 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 an art and a science
1: there's there's a lot to it they're purpose built now you can't just take an old fuel car it's, you need to you need to buy an a fuel car It you have to build an a fuel car now you can't just buy an old top fuel car and make it work it's it's all purpose built so it's intimidating you guys you got guys like randy meyer out there that are fast you know rich and richie here him and Randy Meyer, I think, are the are the fastest guys out there right now. they're the ones who pretty much have the world on fire they are just fast guys that are really setting the standards. and it's it's a fun class to watch. It's really fun for how fast these guys are. they're They're taking these dragsters and going five teams with them at two eighty. And uh, you know imagine if they had some of the top fuel technology, what they'd do. They could probably go, 300 if they had everything it it would be
0: really neat oh yeah it's 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 awesome to watch those cars especially when you get a an injected car against a blower car then you get to see both sides of the coin and it's they're it's so interesting the fuel car seems so laid back and then the the screw blower car is just like it's on the chip it's angry you got to drive that thing like you hate it
1: Oh, yeah, you can hear that thing. I, every time I ran against, like, a, a Sean Cowie or any one of the blower cars, you can hear that thing the whole way down and the gear change in those cars, and it's just singing up there. You're thinking, man, does it does it not only sound really good, but you almost feel bad for the bearings, but those things love it.
0: Yeah. yeah. You feel bad for the guy that's got to rebuild the bottom end of that engine on a regular basis.
1: But they're fast. And they make good runs, and it's got great parity in the class, and it makes it really interesting on Sundays.
0: Oh, yeah, that that's one of those classes that the NHRA is like – it's fortunate they don't have to touch it too much because it's the parity takes care of itself for the most part.
1: Yeah, it's exciting, and it's a great group of drivers. That's one thing I also really enjoyed about Top Alcohol Dragster was was the drivers. They made it so much fun, the Dwayne Shields, the, just the classic drivers The Everybody, everybody made you feel welcome, and it's you know the same group of drivers that have been there for a long time. They're so competitive, and it was fun. And everybody had a lot of respect for each other for the amount of work that goes into these cars. And there's you know there's not ten crew guys per car either. So a lot of respect was was out there for each other, and I just thought that was really exciting, and it was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, it's good, clean, hard racing. You You see a lot of families, and you know just not professional teams you know it's like hey you know we're going to go run the divisional this weekend who all is available and then you you hope you got enough of the specialized people to help you get to the to the weekend and get it done
1: that's it that's exactly it There was a lot of family and and it was a family feel especially at mcphillips racing it was it was family just like i grew up so it just was a great fit
0: speaking of family you, you, uh, your your introduction into pro stock has been much talked about, and then uh, the final round this past weekend, uh, you know, a little bit of family on family deal. What was that like for
1: you? Can you believe that? I mean, it's just the odds, right? Um, uh, gosh, no, there's there's nothing like staging up next to your mentor. You know, I've had two excellent mentors in in the sport of dragwell four, really. If you look at all of them, five if you count my grandfather, but. Uh, my Uncle Jag and my father have just have been big on the, on the door car side and, and even my Uncle Mike, too. Um, but with the pro stock thing, my Uncle Jag's pretty much been my, my biggest teacher, and the stage up next to him in the final at Indy uh, is extremely majestic, and I was just so thankful and blessed just to even be in the water box, for one. But uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun and uh, great for our brand. And uh, we wanted to beat him, of course. Uh, but we, uh, unfortunately, we uh, just had to light the tires up, as we just we had to bring our A game. We had to bring our best. You know, we were running a pretty much a, a Michael Jordan-like figure in, in the sport of drag racing, and we had to bring our A game. So we just got a little too anxious and and spun pretty much at the hit.
0: And I think that again speaks v- volumes for jake jr's kind of status within the within the class that you know when he when he hangs up the helmet to be done with you know pro stock permanently that he's probably going to go on the route mount rushmore of greatest pro stock drivers ever hands down
1: oh he's he's unreal he's so much fun to watch uh like i said he's comparable to a, a like a michael jordan in our sport he's just he can't stop him he's just He's unshakable. His focus is impeccable. His preparation is king. Um, you can't shake him. He's he's absolutely a blast to watch. And like in the semifinals, I was a pair. I was behind him, and his car leaves, and I think it went over to the left quite a bit. And he's grabbing gears, wrangling the thing. It's shaking some, and he still got it down the racetrack. And man, I'm just thinking, man, that guy's just he he's that good to wrangle that thing and i'm sure the shifter's ratcheting and he's gathering it and driving it that that takes uh he's got a lot of experience and and he's just an incredible driver i'm just really lucky to to be right along his side and learning from him and watching him all these years and how exciting to be uh to be next to him
0: did he play a role in your decision to to come to the class you know how did that all kind of come about that you you know you you've been wheeling the a fuel car you know how did the the pro stock deal kind of come into play for you
1: well we were in dallas last year and i i mean I, i grew up as a kid in the pro stock pit my dad started racing pro stock in 1994 so i was always kind of around and i always liked it i always knew pro stock is where i wanted to be as a kid because that's just what we did and um but fast forward to Dallas in 2019, I've been watching Pro Stock for a few weeks and just kind of watching again, and you know, it looked fun. And we're in the airport, and I'm like, you know, if you ever guys ever go testing Jeg and you need a, a pilot, and I wouldn't mind making some laps, you know, just kind of joking, saying, hey, if you ever need someone to make some laps, you know, yell, you ever have something. And uh, about a month or so later, he said, hey, where were you? Just after the season, were you serious when you said you wanted to make some laps? I'm like, yeah, right before PRI. I said, I'm going to have you make laps for me uh, in Bradenton here in about a month. I'm like, hmm, okay, no problem. Let's go. And uh, we went down to Bradenton and made about 22 runs with Ricky Jones and Richard Freeman and the whole group at Elite. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest is history. And it's, that's something about the Elite guys. They're that's a family, too. That's, um, gosh, the fit. The fit is just like, it's perfect. The Elite Motorsports Group is is just like family, just like here at It's just what I grew up around. So it's just, we're so fortunate. We're very lucky to be involved with such wonderful people.
0: I mean, look at the Elite Group, what they've assembled. Pretty much the most gnarly group of pro stock racers that you could put into one team uh, you know the only thing close is KB now but still with elite you know the, the different skills everybody brings and just that whole deal you know with that team it's it's impressive
1: it is impressive between the drivers team Jag and Erica you know you got Aaron Stanfield Alex Laughlin you got Bruno um I'm sure I'm leaving them out. Uh, Marty Robinson, he's one of the new drivers. I mean, look at their engine shop. you got Jake Harrison and Kyle and, I mean, all the crew guys. you got know, Rick Jones, Ricky Jones, Mark Ingersoll. You've got uh, Robert Freeman, Richard Freeman, Royce Freeman. you got all the Freemans, the whole family. It's just, there's. like I heard, there's Mr. Freeman, Pops Freeman, was telling me there's 28 employees that they have. And it's just the amount of work and effort they put in is, is absolutely second to none. And that makes me want to work harder and drive better and learn to be better every single run I make. And regardless of the results that I turn and regardless of the laps I make, I, I want to get better, better, better every single run just because of the fact that that these guys work so hard at it.
0: Oh, yeah. And like you said, just the, the, the level of knowledge there and – you know, the, the tuners like with having Rick and Ricky Jones, you know, we've had them on some of our other shows and they're they've forgotten more about setting up, tuning and building a car than most people ever know in their life. Just from the experience behind the car and inside the car, they understand what it takes to make these things, you know, function, you know, as a driver, how much more confidence does that give you know that you have that level of, uh, you know, brainpower to, to, to help you?
1: Well, it gives me tons of confidence. Just being in the pit area it gives me a ton of confidence, even with the, just all the crew guys in general. Everybody on the car I was on this weekend, I had uh, you know Robert Freeman on our car, which he did our uh, transmission with us. Uh, Mike De Palma did the clutch on our car. Rick Jones and Mark Ingersoll did uh, pretty much the, the crew chiefing and our car chief, Eric Luzinski. I mean, I was just, it just makes your mind it just makes it feel more more natural. It lets you it lets you work on your subconscious and let your body do the drive, which just makes your competition level increase.
0: The only gripe that I have with Pro Stock is that I wish it would go more back to like the, the old schoolish days where you had a little bit more variety in the bodies. You know, like I love watching Nostalgia Pro Stock Racing just because you get to see so many of those iconic cars out there. and They do the whole dry hop deal. But on the flip side of that, the technology that's in these cars now, it's some space age level stuff.
1: Yeah, you know, I I see that. I mean, uh, it would be cool like the factory stock showdown. I like that class. I think that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah that's that's the neat stuff but yeah I, I hear that a lot from fans and you know I'll I'll drive anything and any rules they want to make and any changes they make I'm whatever they want to do I'm I'm in I just want to compete I want to compete as a group
0: although I love the idea now that they do allow you to mix engines and bodies with cars and stuff like that now that I'm down with I like that for sure but again just you know the the competitiveness of that class is just when when you look at the from a number standpoint and how close everybody is and that if you want to run at the top of that class and win you have to be pretty much perfect even if you have all the horsepower in the world best engine is ultimately it comes down to the driver because if you so much as just barely miss a shift that's all it takes that's
1: all it takes i mean you you bang the chip for you know milliseconds it's to losing that much time it hurts
0: oh it's it's again that's it, it's amazing thing to watch for me for sure it, from a fan and from a media standpoint to to watch all that happen and you know kind of changing gears if you will you know you've you've driven a lot of different stuff you know y- do you follow a lot of the different areas of drag racing or do you just mostly watch uh pay attention to the stuff that goes on in the big show
1: uh i like all of it you know i've always been a I'm a, I'm one of those fan geeks for sure. I like I like all of it. I'm pretty much addicted.
0: Cause I always like to kind of feel around, because some racers, you know, they don't necessarily watch a lot of this stuff. And what I get, and, what you know, I've crewed on the cars. I've been in the outlaw of the small tire world. You know, what's your take on that radial tire racing stuff?
1: That's, now, that's intimidating. That's cool. That I could see my dad doing something like that, and I'm surprised he hasn't.
0: <laughs> he just but, hasn't had the time yet?
1: That stuff's gnarly. That's fun to watch. Those guys are great. I'll tell you that much. That that looks really intimidating, but it looks like a lot of
0: fun. You know, Bo Buntner, his, his Moonlit, and, you know, you know, Alex has too. And it, it's always interesting to see their reaction, you know, different racers' reaction when they go to these races because they realize quickly, like, this ain't the NHRA. They're not telling me where I can stand and how long I can stand here. It's pretty much – it's as old school as it gets, you know, show up and run what you brung and you hope you brung enough, and, you know, you'll see these guys cramming, you know, an an alcohol funny car engine into a door car.
1: Those are the races that they're they're having to pull people away because when the guy's backing up from his burnout, he's going to run someone over.
0: Yeah, I've legit almost seen people get clipped by wheelie bars that are not paying attention when the starting line's at pack. Now, granted.
1: Big dog shootout. I used to love those.
0: It's enough to make your like your common sense skin crawl, but at the same time, that atmosphere you you can't replicate it. Period.
1: There's nothing like it. Trust me, it's it's unique.
0: You know, it's it's like you go to a lot of these big money grudge races. I was fortunate enough to be down at one of Donald's races when you know Ghost ran Ghostbusters or God no, J.R. Gray ran Mario's car Ghost and you know there was a lot of money exchanging hands well into the six figure range that race was nuts just people lost their minds like everybody was on their feet watching that it was it was intense
1: i could imagine there's a lot of money exchanging hands and that's and it's drag racing that's one thing in drag racing that's never going to change It's that's the fun part of drag racing there's always going to be an exchanging of of some gash and that's, that's
0: the beauty of it. See, I think that would make it more fun for, you know, if they wanted to, to turn things on the air at the, at the NHRA level is get some side bets, get some grudge stuff going on between these teams. Cause I, th- I think that would uh, entertain the fans just as much, if not more of when, you know, things go sideways on the track. Um, you know, I mean, it's, there's,
1: there's, definitely ways of entertainment and there's new new entertainment ways that i think that we could make it more entertaining and and i think those ideas are are great ideas and all i can tell you is is what i want to do is, is compete and i'm up for anything if we want to do some side bets i'm all in
0: see that's what i'm talking about i want i want to see some more some more trash talk you know in, in the lanes a little bit of side bet action going you know some I've seen bets in the grudge War where guys have had to shave eyebrows I mean it it gets interesting in a hurry
1: Oh, I bet I bet I mean at the bracket races there's there's not much uh, much talking uh, as far as any eyebrow shaving or anything like that but it's usually all pretty much good fun but but that's interesting. I've never heard of the eyebrow shaving deal. That's that's, uh, that's a new one for me. That's, that's kind of wild.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was uh, – th- there was a lot of uh, hopes and dreams being thrown around. It was funny when the gentleman who had said eyebrows shaved off, when he realized his fate, it was definitely – you could just see part of his soul leave his body like, I've made a poor choice. And he just – he manned up and he took it. But it was it was definitely uh, something you, you don't see every day in a track race.
1: Well, at least he took it like a man. That's that's pretty valiant of him. Awesome. I got to give
0: him that one. That, that'd be a little tough for me. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I guess it could have been worse. You could have. I mean, you see people that make the fantasy sports bets and they have to get a. They have to get tattoos. So it's it's a step below that, but definitely not something you're going to live down for a while.
1: Ooh, yeah, that's a, that's a big change there, especially when you look in the mirror.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those ones where you're gonna tell that story of what happened for a very long time to the point where you might want to put it, like, on a business card and be like, just read this. It'll explain everything. Right. <laughs> now, out of everything that you've driven, you know, is the Pro Mod your favorite? Is something else jump up? There's a Pro Stocker. What's your favorite car to drive?
1: Uh, that's, that's a tough question, but I get that a lot. Um, I almost want to say it depends on when you ask. But, I, you know, I want to say that the pro stock car, I just feel like that's what I was made to do. Um, I've always loved it. It's been a love. It's in my heart. I really love the team I'm with. Um, and I feel like, it's, uh, feel like it's reliving my childhood, to be honest, running a pro stock car. So I feel like that's my home and that's where my heart is. And I'm, uh, I love it. I'm in love with it. And uh, I can't wait to continue with it, and uh, I'll never stop learning it.
0: Now, you know, if you were given the opportunity, would you uh, would you partake in some of the no wheelie bars radio tire action?
1: Uh, I guess it just depends on the deal. But, uh, I mean, I would definitely look at it for sure. Because that stuff looks pretty cool, too.
0: You see, honestly, I'm not surprised you guys haven't got into it more because considering the market and, you know, with, you know, the JEGS name that, you know, I've, I'm seriously shocked. I haven't seen a yellow car show up at one of these events yet and try to uh, use it as a, uh, definitely be a great uh, marketing opportunity considering the age demographic in it. I mean, that, that's hardcore. The fans are just, a lot of them are racers.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. There is a lot of viewership there and whether it be, you know, the internet or on site. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. And I think if, uh, you know, that that is a, a very expensive car to build too, so, to build something that's fast and safe. And I just think that if my dad was, uh, still so hot and heavy and wanting to, to drive, I'm sure he would, but he says that he's, uh, says that he's done and, and wants to watch uh, me and my uh, younger sister Paige race and, and uh and just wants to stick with that otherwise if if he was still wanting to do it i'm sure that's what he would look at
0: yeah that's definitely you touched on something there you know fast and safe because it's crazy to see you know if you think about it these cars are knocking on running three forties in the eighth mile on a radio tire that's that's insane
1: that's unbelievable that's That's, it's exciting believe me i i love watching and it's just intimidating
0: yeah it and it's it's funny to watch how that everything has progressed with that and it's really driven the market because you see companies you know like with what fuel tech has done in that space and how it's trickling down you know I'm building my own bracket car right now that's going to be EFI with a fuel tech system in it and I'm going to benefit from the stuff that they've learned controlling those monsters
1: yeah, that's, the technology out there is, is impressive what you can do to make one of those things hook and, and go. And, and the control that you can have. And, yeah, they, they're only going to get better.
0: It's, it's to the point where, you know, th- here's a question for you. What do you think, are there any big, like, milestone records left in drag racing that people can really can really hit because of, you know, with, with the, the safety stuff now, you know, with the nitro cars being at a 1,000 feet, you know, what, what do you think is the next big thing that we should – someone could pull off?
1: Well, you know, I don't know if I could pinpoint that one uh, today, but there's always going to be something. I mean, if there's if there's two people and two of anything, there's always going to be some type of record or some type of statistic that that somebody's going to go after and, and, and break and beat. So I, I, I think there's going to be something that, that we can go after in the sport of drag racing, whether it be in the radio world or the NHRA world the bracket race world. But something amazing is out there that, that we're going to be able to tackle in the future or near future. But can I tell you exactly what it is? You know, I'm not sure. Let's drag racing then with, you know, the, the current state the world's in. I think we're just not as really focused on that. Amazement side of it right now, so I don't know. That's that's a tough question, but I think so. I think we'll achieve something pretty pretty interesting when it comes to speed.
0: Yeah, you know, it's with with the fuel cars now. They there's that rumble last year about going back to quarter mile racing, and there's a lot of people that would love to see it. But at the same time, I just I don't know if that's going to be. I just don't know if it's physically going to be possible with how fast these cars actually are now that you'd almost have to detune them slightly now to, to keep them to keep them in the park almost
1: well i think when you get tracks that have the the longer shutdowns i think that you potentially possibly could run quarter miles and then i believe um tires may be an issue but you know i'm not 100 percent sure on that but you know nhra makes makes great safety decisions so um i really have a lot of faith and trust in them and, and the choices that they make with you know that's, that's their motto dedicated to safety so they uh they've pretty much that control
0: yeah the, i think definitely the the tire factor is something because i don't i don't think Goodyear, when they sit down to, to design slicks have a uh, have something on the board that you know do you have something can go almost you know 360 370 what, what do you got they just they'll look at you with a blank stare probably
1: but then
0: you got a radio going 340 to the eighth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That what's crazy is um a few years ago when, you know, a lot of times the radio guys don't do the quarter mile deal and when, you know, Josh uh Kluger and Fiskus when they uh went quarter mile racing with their radio tire Mustang, they kind of said the same thing that it, it it's all fun and games so you get at the top end and that thing's, you know, running in the 5 second zone on a little teeny tiny tire. It's a uh, they they said it was definitely a a fun feeling, but not a fun feeling when things when the car got away from them.
1: Oh no! Yeah, I can only imagine what that's like. That's uh, wow.
0: Well, it, it's always one of the most interesting places to take pictures at for me is at the top end because that's when you get how quick and fast these cars are moving in perspective and it doesn't matter if it's a radial tire car you know making an eighth mile pull and you you know shorter distance or you know I think the, the the one that was was like a pro mod that right there when you're at the top end that puts it in perspective when those cars are zinging past they just finished a 250 mile an hour run and you're a ways into the shutdown area and they're still moving people don't understand what the the physics involved with that
1: it's amazing that's for certain, it's just with the laws of motion and when the shoots come out, the feelings and, and what it does to the chassis and how the chassis works from the finish line when everything's under a load yet, yeah, there's a lot going on.
0: and just the noise at the top end when you bang the chute and just the car coming to a stop it's again it's it's a different kind of sensory to see that happen at the top end because it's it's a lot more violent than what people realize.
1: Oh, it can be it definitely can be especially if it's the meat it's blowing you around and you got big shoots on the car there are shoots that hit harder than others so you can you can definitely have certain types of scenarios that'll throw you around
0: well Troy our time here on the podcast is coming to an end and I like to give my guests the chance to uh channer their own John Force and talk about all their sponsors and where they can be found at so uh I'll turn things over to you so you can thank who you need to thank and tell people where they can follow you uh follow you on social media, whatnot with your racing.
1: Well, uh, we're going to go to uh, Indy again here for the U.S. Nationals. Uh, We might be at uh, Bowling Green for the NHRA Super Comp race in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm on Instagram under Troy Kaufman, Jr. 394. I'm also on Facebook. Got to always shout out to Jags, JEGS.com. Everybody here at Jags got to thank them for all they do for their hard work. And everybody here at, Team Jags racing for all the effort and work they put into our sportsman cars and operations, keeping us going. And everybody at Elite Motorsports, all those guys, keeping us going and keeping Uncle Jack and I out there. We love them all to death and very excited to be with them and can't wait to keep learning and keep going. And all my family, and uh, can't wait to keep enjoying life.
0: Well, if there's one thing, it's definitely nice that we've got racing back on and going on, like you said, in these crazy times. Because for those of us in in the racing world, it's uh, it's definitely the the thing that get, makes us feel normal and kind of brings some balance to our life. Because I don't know about you, but when there was no racing, I was uh, I was going through some withdrawals.
1: I feel you there. I was pacing my living room a lot. That's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's
0: you know, as racers, you're like, what am I supposed to do with all this free time? I'm supposed to be somewhere right now.
1: Yeah, I got to be making some noise somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I, it's like I, I joked with uh, one of my friends, you know, both my cars are stripped down. I was like, I'm just going to go sit in the driver's seat and make race car noises for a while. It's like, I got to do something.
1: Been there, done that.
0: Well, again, Troy, thank you for coming on the show, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the track again soon.
1: Hey, thanks for the opportunity. I greatly appreciate it.
0: Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks to Troy for stopping by. And as always, may your wind lights be bright and your reaction times crisp. Until next time.